Hey, everybody, and welcome to this conversation with John Bradbury. How are you doing today, John? I'm good. Great. Good to be on the show. Yeah. John is a comedian, right? I am. What else would you classify yourself as? Well, recently I became an author, a first-time author. Oh, cool. Um, hold, I wrote my you first... hold your book up for me? There you go. <laughs> What's it say? Stony Mountain Park? Stony Mountain Park. Oh, cool. It's got a bear on there. Is that a bear that you met? Uh, no, it's a, it's a talking bear. It's a fiction. <laughs> so the plot, if you mind if I give a little summary. Oh, no, go right ahead. Let's, go, let's, let's hear about it. So Stony Mountain is a fictitious park in Maine. And the main character, Jack Rollins, is an alcoholic. And he passes out drunk. And his two friends find him. And they are park rangers. Mm -hmm. and they introduce him to Raymond, who is a talking black bear. Raymond, <laughs> he gave himself the name from Raymond Reddington from The Blacklist, which is his favorite show. Okay, so he's, yeah, all right. They don't. How, how does he watch The Blacklist, I wonder? But, yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> Ray, the way they met Raymond is he killed a trophy hunter in self-defense. Mm -hmm. And the trophy hunter has been running an illegal Ponzi scheme and he had a bunch of cash on him and he's wanted by the FBI. So the other two park rangers, Alonzo and Lewis, they took some of the cash and they set up a little cabin out in the woods so he'd have internet access <laughs> and TV. Okay. <laughs> um. So this so bear he, is, is pretty well set up. Yeah, well, he's learning about humanity through TV and Internet. Oh, well, that's probably not the best uh, no, no. place to start. And that's the funny thing. Is he, he doesn't know like what's real. He's like, do you humans really do this shit? Um, <laughs> he likes mead, which is a honey wine. Uh -huh. He likes uh, edible gummies, honey flavored, obviously. And also... The main character, Jack, deals with his alcohol. He starts microdosing LSD, mm -hmm. which is something that I is semi autobiographical. I mean, I have been doing that, and it, and it's made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, no, I read that in your uh, uh, online uh, thing there, and uh, that's interesting. So I've heard of people microdosing for depression and for PTSD, but never for alcoholism. Well, yeah, I mean, I, personally, I haven't heard it myself. So that was interesting to see that. So wh yeah. why do you think that? How does that help? I guess well, is my question. The crazy thing. See, originally in the 1950s, LSD was not illegal. Mm hmm. And a lot of psychiatrists used it. In fact, Cary Grant, the movie star, tripped once a week for three years with his psychiatrist to help mm -hmm. him deal with his depression. And it's kind of the same way with alcohol. I mean, like, I still drink from time to time, but I used to drink a hell of a lot more. Uh -huh. um, it's hard to explain why, because I don't know. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It allows you to have more of a positive outlook 
And it allows you to, when you're addicted, you're not really thinking logically. You're just mm -hmm. thinking, I want more. And it allows your brain to, to say, look, this is, I don't want to get drunk tonight because I have to go to work in the morning. Mm -hmm. Things that most normal people, yeah, you know, that's obvious, but <laughs> to people that, you know, deal with it, it's not obvious. And it's, I, th it helped me focused and stay disciplined to write the book. And I think it's also helped me with my stand up. That's interesting. So, so we're talking about you're not like totally. Uh, when you say micro, I mean what? What are we talking as far as amounts? Okay, so a micro dose is about one tenth or less of one hit of LSD. Okay, and you take that um, through water. You you dilute it with water, and you take it through a syringe. You take it. Um, about three times a week for a period of a couple weeks. And then you, you, you take a few weeks off. It's not something you do every day by any mm -hmm. stretch. It's And it's kind of like lifting weights. You lift weights once, you don't get stronger all of a sudden. Right. It takes weeks and months. And so, so it's... it's a, it, so it's titrating into your system. So you're it's it builds up. And then if whenever you decided not to, then it would slowly go away, I'm guessing then. Yes, and when you do it that day, it doesn't feel like a hit at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not like if I take a, a microdose, I feel like a small little bit of LSD. It's it's just it's um it's it's a long, gradual process. Right. But like John Hopkins University has started with mushroom therapy again mm -hmm. because in the last you know for so long we had the war on drugs and right any kind of research was banned basically in the sixties. Right. And people realize that it does help. It helps people with PTSD with depression and with addiction. That's interesting. That's the part I had never uh, saw anything on. So I was, whenever I read that on your thing, I was like, Oh, that's very interesting because the other two depression and PTSD, I've seen that, uh, you know, kind of out in the world or whatever you want to say. But, um, for alcoholism or addiction, I haven't seen anything on it yet. I guess I, now I have. I've talked to you, so now I've got some awareness. But I hadn't seen or read anything about that before, so that's interesting. So you, so would you say you said it helps helps you and it helps you focus with with everything in general? It sounds like not just for alcoholism, but you said you wrote your book. It helped you focus for your book. It's helped you. In your daily life, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's um, it, it expands. It's kind of like if you went to a library, and half the section was closed off, and then you took LSD, and the other section was open, mm -hmm. and now you would see all these new books and all these new ideas. Right. And it's 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 not like it affects everyone the same way. It makes you just a more, a more in, enlightened version of yourself. So whatever okay. you do, like I can't paint for shit. Uh -huh. So I still can't paint. Right. <laughs> it's not opening up that section of the library for you. No. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Limitless with Bradley Cooper. 
I know what you're talking about. I don't know if I've actually watched it all, but yeah. Well, he takes this drug that just makes him smarter, and he could trade stocks for three days, and he could play piano. It's not like that at all. If you no, didn't know no. how to do it before, it, it's not going to come to you. You won't learn a bunch of languages and things like that. There's no magic to it in that regard. No. I mean, I've always been a creative person, but I just haven't, you know, when I was drinking all the time, I wasn't applying myself. Yeah. And so, it, so you, you know, would be more focused on drinking than you would be on other activities. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's one thing, you know, I'd have the ideas, but writing a book takes a lot of discipline. And mm -hmm. stand-up comedy takes a lot of discipline. You have to write the jokes, but not only that, you have to learn it. You have to have deal with stage fright. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, like people say stand-up, some people do, I'm not saying, but they're like, well, you know, people tell me I should do stand-up because I'm real funny at parties. And it's like, okay, it's, <laughs> it's two different things. So so if you're just funny at parties, it's not the um, – you're basically just getting lucky. Well, it's not – it doesn't mean you can't do stand-up comedy, mm -hmm. but it, you shouldn't just assume that because you could do one, you could do the other. Because for one thing, it's it's a lot different to be funny at a party than it is to be funny when people are paying to see you on stage right. on the yeah. microphone. They don't want to. They don't give a shit if you're nervous or how you're feeling, and they don't know you, so they're not just going to laugh because they're friends with you. Right, right. You're not going to get the or the situation that you're talking about or making fun of is not necessarily universal beyond yeah. that group. Yeah, and that's another thing is people say like, well, you know, I bet you should tell people this story. And I'm like, if they don't know us, they don't know the story. It's not funny to them. Right, that's right. <laughs> it, it's it's the same problem yeah. with like Facebook. You know, it's like just because it happened to you doesn't make it important. It, it's a you had to be there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, which came first, being a comedian or being uh, addicted to alcohol, I guess would be my question. <laughs> oh, interesting question. Yeah, uh, I was definitely, okay. I was a very heavy drinker by 19. Uh -huh. When I say heavy, I mean drinking every day. Right. Um, the first stand-up I did, I was 23. And yeah. so it wasn't like I couldn't do stand-up but I did like open mics and I was funny sometimes, but the thing about if you, it's one thing to have a few drinks to loosen your nerves, to relax. Mm -hmm. It's another to be drunk to where you're slurring words and your timing is off. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you could have a, a joint or two to do your show or whatever, but 10 bong hits might be too much. Right. You, you're not and you're wandering around everywhere. Yeah. And it's the same with stand up. So it wasn't, I did, I was funny sometimes. I wasn't as funny other times, but I didn't focus or apply myself. I didn't take the time to be a better, to be a student of comedy mm -hmm. until the last few years. And it's not like I, like I said, it's not like I just, I haven't, I never drink anymore. Sometimes I do, but I don't drink, I don't get, you know, it's maybe once every couple of weeks. Mm hmm. And it's, I just don't feel that need to do it. Do you, did you find that 
your drinking became situational or was it just constant? Like you're always like, yeah, I got, I'm just doing, this is what I do. I mean, for a long time, it was constant. Yeah. It was something I did before work. Um, if I didn't every few hours, my hand would shake, you mm. know, I mean, it, it was bad. It was, it was, I mean, I can't, I had a lot of fun times. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not like in after school specials where the guy has like one beer and he turns into a total asshole. Right, right. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, there are a lot of good times with drugs and alcohol, but there's also a lot of bad times. Right. You know, and I, you know, for a lo long time, I'd get sick if I didn't do it. And, you know, I could go from job to job. I would wait tables and bartend sometimes. Great job. Mm -hmm. And... But in the last few years, since I've, you know, really started to microdose, and it's a lot of different things. I also just started drinking. I've drank, been drinking less for the last 10 years. Mm. And it's just kind of, you know, you get older and it's like, well, you know, this isn't the life. This isn't fun anymore like it used to be. Right. And right now, um, I... I was doing shows of like five, 10 minutes, like open mics and stuff. Mm -hmm. But where I live, there's a wine bar right across from me. And um, I've been doing 30 minute shows once a month. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's not easy to do, to do a 30 minutes. Um, and I'm just getting started, you know, yeah. I'm just, but one thing I've learned, because Maine, is where I live, is not a big state. It's not like there's a bunch of clubs. Right. But oftentimes, bars, and that's what I would tell anyone who's thinking about getting into stand-up comedy, is it doesn't have to be a stand-up club. A lot mm -hmm. of times, bars, you know, in, in any place like that, you can say, look, would you mind if I performed mm -hmm. maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday night when it's slow and right. just getting practice? And do mm -hmm. any kind of open mic, except for I've made. I kind of want to stay away from spoken word and poetry, okay. because <laughs> music it, it goes fine with, but with spoken word, it could just be like they could be on a totally different frame, and mm -hmm. they don't want to laugh. Right. It's like you can tell a poem. You know, this is Emily Dickinson at my grave, and then I come right. in I'm like. So anyway, Ooh. this guy walks in. <laughs> So, a little too overly sincere and serious, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas with yeah. music, it's kind of the same. You know, I've opened for bands and then, you know, I've done a little set and then I'll introduce the band. So that that can work out pretty well. You definitely don't want to go on after a band. Right, right. You wanna be you wanna be the warm-up, right? Yeah. So it, why did you decide that you wanted to do stand-up comedy in the first place i mean i've always been a class clown which i i mean i've always kind of wanted to be in either acting writing wanted to be famous to be honest i mean i i've an <laughs> ego i mean not, not to say it's always a deserved ego but you know i've always felt like you know i would want to do it mm -hmm. and the first time I did stand up, I was on an open mic and I didn't get booed. You know, I, I it wasn't a great show, but what I didn't fail. 
Right. And I saw some other people fail. Oh, so you and, like the other people that were they actually booed off the stage and you Yeah. They accepted your your style. Yeah. So that made me think not I'm awesome at this, but I this I could do this. You're and, like, I'm not as bad as those guys, so Yeah. And then sometimes I've seen people on TV and then like and Jim Jeffries said the same thing. You know, he's like, I've seen, what really got me started is seeing other people that were making it and thinking, you know, I'm actually funnier than them. <laughs> I think I think everybody goes through that phase where they want to do something and they look at around them and they're like, yeah, you know what? They're not so great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how long have you been doing this then? How long have you been? You, you mentioned, you said, did you say 19 when you started? Or that was when you started drinking. Drinking, yeah. So when, I've been. When did you start stand up? I started stand up at 23. But when I say okay. started, I mean like doing open mics once every two or three months. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even longer than that without it. So I was not a stand up comedian. Right. And even now, I do stand-up com comedy, and I do get paid somewhat for shows, but I'm not a. I still work a regular job. Right. Does it have anything to do with any of this, or is is the regular job just you just got to do it to earn money? Like the regular I do. I job regular is job. So yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what the regular job is just to pay my bills. Yeah, and it's not anything that you're really interested or passionate about. No, no, yeah. it's not. Okay, so then. So then we're you're doing the stand up stuff, and it sounds like so. I get I'm kind of mixing. This is just all stream of conscious, right, for me and all this. So you you were drinking. You obviously had a point in your life where you're like, this is too much. And then, but how did you get from there to microdosing? How how I guess when did you make your decision that was too much? And then once you made that decision, what what drew you to doing the microdosing at that point? So we're talking about years. Like for the last 10 years, I was reducing how much I was drinking. Instead of drinking every day, I was drinking. I was still getting drunk two or three times a week. But I was going days without it, which for mm -hmm. me was an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I didn't need it all the time. So I was definitely year after year reducing the amount of times I was getting drunk. But that was a conscious decision, right? So yes. was there a, an epiphany or what was what 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 made you go, you know what? Enough's enough. I was just, in my just 30s. Age? Yeah, I was in my 30s, you know, and I'm still like working the same job. I'm still losing jobs. I'm still having a hard time, you know, establishing residence. Um, as it, you know, it's physically starting to take a toll on my health. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I had done 90 days in, in county jail. Mm -hmm. It just, it's like, it was kind of a ghost of Christmas future. Like, this is what you're, you know, it ain't going to get any better. <laughs> you're looking out ahead and you're like, mm, not liking it. Yeah. And also, I was doing stand-up comedy, which for a long time gave me this false impression that like, I'll just be a rich celebrity junkie. <laughs> and everything will be fine like behind the music right right yeah but what i didn't realize is that i wasn't 
I'm a much better comedian. Like I'll still, if I do a big show, I'll like, I maybe have a, a two glasses of wine or something mm -hmm. and yeah. I'll, I'll smoke a little bit just to relax. But when I'm writing my jokes, when I'm rehearsing, I'm sober, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's not something, cause if you need alcohol to do, to, to stand on stage, it'll catch up with you. Right. It, it won't be enough. And it'll, um, it will, it'll, it'll affect your timing and your delivery. But it, as far it wasn't like a one epiphany, like I just, I'm not doing this anymore. And it wasn't religious. I'm not religious at all. Right. So it, you know. So then what, so then you, you started uh, reducing what got you onto this um, idea of the microdosing for helping with that? Well, um, I started looking it up. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, I had done acid a few times, like full trips. And I realized that even the days afterwards, I felt better. And so I started looking it up because in like between 2012 and now, articles and blogs and research about it were starting to come out. Right. And people who, you know, the alcoholism got me because I wasn't really suffering through depression or, or PTSD, but I was definitely suffering through alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went online and I, you know, I, I'm not going to go into the whole story about that, but um, okay. basically, sure. yeah, I learned how to do it. And that you basically, you mix it with water and it's a pretty simple process mm -hmm. and but i also realized it had to be patient mm -hmm. and so it took about maybe six weeks and i started to really just notice that first of all i never thought about writing a book and within about five weeks i'd gotten my manuscript my first mm -hmm. draft obviously there's a lot more to a book than that i mean like the whole type in the last page and your book is done is a movie trope. It's not reality. Right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of a process to it. Right. I mean, it's just like you with your pot. You know, you can't just say, oh, yeah, hey, I like talking to people, so I'll be a podcaster. There's obviously more to it. There's more actual we, work. We if always actually, hope there's more to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's actually, you know, there, there's a, a lot of actual work that needs to be done for anything like this. And so that's where I think the microdose, it, it allowed me to say, look, to, to just focus on what I needed to do and to do it. So it's not like I became smarter. Mm -hmm. I just became better at applying myself. Oh, that's okay. That's a very interesting statement there. So it was, it gave you essentially uh, prior to that, you didn't. You had a real tr a tough time applying your focus to anything other than drinking. Let's say pretty much, yeah. And afterwards, you're like, you know what? I can do something else. I, I can yes. think about you know, maybe a half a dozen things I could be doing instead of this, and and actually do them. Yeah, that's interesting. No, I I do know. I do have read that it really helps people with PTSD tremendously. Um, because they, um, get kind of, you know, 
trapped in a cycle of of uh you know reliving their traumas right mm-hmm. so i guess this kind of freed you from the cycle of of drinking yeah and because like it's hard for me to explain why it happened but i could tell you it did mm-hmm. because i knew i was different it, it wasn't like losing weight where I could look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm losing weight. Right. But I just knew I was different. I knew that I'd focus and I just had abilities that I didn't have anymore. And as mm-hmm. I keep doing, I mean, I was being able to come up with jokes better. And I mean, I've always been kind of, uh, you know, I've always wanted the attention. I like being on stage, mm-hmm. even though it's nerve wracking and it's hard, it's rewarding. I mean, there's nothing better. Well, there's better things, but <laughs> when I do a show and at the end people clap, right? You know, that's that's interesting. I, I like the way you said that there's better things. So you were alluding to 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 drugs and alcohol. They're better. Well, things, drugs, exactly. alcohol, orgasm, stuff like that. I yeah. Mean, okay. But yeah, no, I always love it when people say that, and then. I'm glad you qualified that because because it's never whatever they're talking about. It's never true that yeah. it's the best thing. Yeah, I mean, when people like, there's always something better that they don't want to talk about because it's polite conversation, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. It's like just like when they talk about overcoming writer's block. Well, if you have a couple grams of coke, you could probably overcome the writer's block. But that's not <laughs> a good suggestion to tell high school kids. Right, correct. <laughs> and there's also a lot of problems that go with that. Um, yeah. Back to the PTSD. Like I say, I never dealt with that, but I have obviously, I've done a lot of research. I've read a lot of research. Let's, let me rephrase right. that. I haven't done the research, but from what I read, it's kind of the same. With PTSD, for one thing, to help people out, PSD would be a lot tougher. Like I couldn't just do that on my own. With doctors, what they do is they give them the microdose, or sometimes they give them full doses, mm-hmm. and they allow the, it's like talk therapy. It's almost like hypnosis, and they allow them to talk about the events, whatever it was, you know, especially if it's if it's combat related or right. or you know abuse related or things like that. And from what the people who've gone through it say, it it allows them to sort of forgive themselves. And it allows their brain to identify, like, for example, people who come back from Afghanistan or whatever, or Vietnam or, or any kind of military situation, if they hear loud noise, it can be triggering. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's back, you know, in the war, loud noise could mean bullets. Or anything, yeah. Anything or anything. Going on, yeah. So it allows their brain to kind of detach from that. Whereas PTSD is your brain not knowing the difference yet. Mm-hmm. Like your brain can at times still think it's in combat. Whereas with the with the the dosing and the mushroom therapy, and this is long term, this is not like a week or two, it allows their brain to sort of realize that look, I'm not in combat anymore. Mm-hmm. Um these past events are not happening right now. Right. And it helps like with nightmares and things like that. Right. Yeah. You, you, you develop a fear and you can't shake it. Yeah. And, and, and anything that enters into that realm, uh, you know, puts you on an edge, I would imagine. 
and you can get the other. You know, PTSD could certainly need to lead to depression and substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. So the interesting thing is, you said you still you will still have a drink or two. Now, typically, in you know, uh, like AA and all that kind of stuff, they're like, you know, you can't drink anymore. You got to be out of it, right? Because there is a genetic, um, a proven genetic link to alcoholism, right? So, if you have that gene, you have a proclivity to where when you drink, you can't stop. And so, I'm not sure if you looked into that, but oh, it's if you um, if you have it's interesting because you you feel that you have enough control over it now with what you're doing that it's okay right so you can you can uh in in a sense dabble well yes and let me be very clear i don't do it every like i never really at the like for example if i decide i want to have to go out drinking for a night i make sure that i don't have anything to do in the morning because i realize Mm -hmm. there's always a chance of me overdoing it Mm-hmm. And if I do overdo it, I stop for the next day. But I still go long periods without drinking. And it would be better if I never did it. But, you mm-hmm. know, it'd also be better if I became vegan, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I just don't feel like it. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so yes, it's very true. And it's interesting, you, t- you talk about AA. Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, was one of the people in the 50s that tripped LSD Mm-hmm. and believed in its potential. Oh, okay. That's interesting. If, if you look up Bill Wilson and, and LSD, there's, there'll be interesting stuff on that if, if you Google it or whatever, because he mm-hmm. believed it too. And, you know, once they made it illegal, you know, he was very much, he's like, look, this could really make a difference. This can yeah. help people. Yeah. So I'm not, A, definitely, like I've been to A meetings and you, it's a gr- you will never meet a selfless group of people like you could find in a not everybody mm-hmm. there's definitely people that use it to meet women what's called 13th stepping <laughs> but i can't imagine that i would be in a position where i'd be like you know what i can i'm gonna go to this aa meeting to meet a woman you know I mean, it ha- is that does that yes. a desperate act to you or i mean that's what it sounds like to me well, I mean, it's one thing people go there and they um, they get into relationships because that yeah. well, even they're that, not supposed uh, to do that. That's totally different. I agree with that's. But yes, there are people that go to. For one thing, people go to a meeting sometimes for legal reasons. Sure. For probation, for so it's not like everyone's an A because they truly want to get help. Right. Well, obviously, now you got these guys looking for dates. And it's not just whatever. guys, but yeah. Or whoever. And so <laughs> it's the same with like rehabs. You know, you have people in rehab because court enforced. Right. Court ordered. Yeah. So they're just kind of telling you what they want you, you know. I mean, they learned the game. And I mean, I've learned, you know, and I've been in court situations where I've gone to A for that, knowing that I was going to drink that night. Right. I tried to be, I mean, I didn't, you know, try to, I was still polite because I did, I felt bad about it, but I, you know, I also didn't want to go to jail. Right. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's, that's, but yeah, I didn't want to do that. Um, but yeah, I noticed like there was one particular guy, this is, 
you know, years ago, and he had an extra room that he would allow people to stay at. He, he would go to A and he had this extra room that he'd allow mm-hmm. people to stay at. Coincidentally, it was always a woman that stayed at his room, yeah. and she was always in her 20s, early 30s. Okay. And everyone knew he did this. Everyone was like, no, he's not a nice nigga, but he's so nice, he's going to allow me to stay at a room. It's like, no, he's not nice. <laughs> he's setting you up. He's setting you up, yeah. He's, yeah. he's playing oh the white... God, that's a... Yeah, that, that's I mean it's so unfortunate, and I don't want people thinking that that's a or that you know you shouldn't go to it for that. Oh no! But yeah. there are always, but yeah, there are people that definitely go to AA because they know you're gonna meet. It's kind of like you know in wedding crashers, right, right, with funerals, and it's kind of the same with AA. You're meeting people that are kind of like really just want to be with somebody, right? And well, in a way, you're kind of preying on. Oh, I'm not saying it's okay (laughs) at all. It's not something I'm saying that that's why they do it. It's opportunity. Yeah. And it's not so much always that it's intentional, but if you're going to AA and you're only going because of court enforced and you meet a woman that you're attracted to, then you're going to be less likely to be thinking about, you know, is this really a good idea? Right. Well, my you know, thing, and then, yeah. yeah. And maybe you can I mean, help I, each other. Maybe you're, you, yeah. you can help well, each other. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely people that have gotten married at AA and both of them have remained sober. Yeah. But it's got to be one or the other. It can't be, I'm here because I want to get my card signed and you're mm-hmm. here because you're trying to get help. Right. Because <laughs> one person's going to bring the other down. I mean, in other words, they're going to get you drinking again faster than you will get them sober. Right, right. Well, it's my issue my issue with AA is that I'm not religious. And it's not that you have to be religious to go into AA, but mm-hmm. the 12 steps require a belief in a higher power. Right. And I just, you know, it's and in my book the character's an atheist and it's like, you know, I just don't believe a God that allows a Catholic church to get away with the things they do. Millions mm-hmm. of people starve, but he's going to help you quit drinking. Right. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to focus my energy over here because that's yeah. too far gone. Yeah. Just like when athletes thank God for hitting a three pointer. Right. It's like, right. really? You think the same God that allows slavery, but he's going to help you hit this three pointer. Right. Well, and, you know, everybody's got their priorities. Yeah, but I just made it's uh, you sit there and you're like, well, I didn't drink. I go to meetings. I got a job. I'm taking care of myself. But God did this for me. And it's like, okay, stop going to meetings, start drinking and see if God stops you from doing it. (laughs) What what are the odds on that? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're doing everything. I mean, I agree that A as a support system definitely works. I mean, of course, the idea of I'm going through something, you're going through the same thing, we can help each other. That makes perfect sense, and that's why Mm -hmm. I think it works. I just don't see why the Sky Wizard gets all the credit when it's like (laughs) everyone – and if – you know, this is – I'm not saying – I mean, these are just my beliefs. I just – I feel like if everyone's helping each other – Yet they're all saying it wouldn't be possible without God. 
And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't understand that. You guys have shown that you can do it. Right. What, when when do you start uh, crediting yourself a little bit? Yeah. Interesting. So you say atheist. Do you mean totally against anything spiritual at um, all? Or? Huh, that's a t- well, I don't believe in, in religion. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm open to the fact that there's something out there. But I don't believe, first of all, the fact that the book was written 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago, I don't believe that any man-made religion mm-hmm. because there's so many ulterior motives. Yeah, now, I mean, they got, uh, you know, the priests are just looking to pick up somebody. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's like the all, A meeting. That's why they're in for it. They're like, you know, if I stand up here and talk, maybe I'll get uh, lucky or something. You'll get money. Yeah. You'll get power. You'll get yeah. control. I mean, and that doesn't mean it's the same thing with Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of good people that are Christians or Muslims or Jewish, mm-hmm. but they were good regardless of the religion. Right. But it's proven that religion doesn't make you good. If you're an asshole who goes to church, <laughs> you're just an asshole that goes to church. And there's plenty of those. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw you a curveball here, right? So right. maybe... Maybe the religion keeps them in check. But, you know what I'm saying? So if if it's it's kind of like you know a situation where they're like, I'm I'm going to do this because it helps me. It keeps me in check on all the bad things that I'm doing, so that it gives me limits. Now, some might say it's kind of like microdosing. Oh, well, here's why I completely disagree with that. And I understand you're just throwing me a curve. But first of all, going by the last 10,000 years of history, people have always had some sort of gods or religion. And people have continued to do horrible things. Oh, yeah. Mostly by being religious. If you go into prison, every cell you see Bibles. (laughs) <laughs> and the whole thing about religion, since the actual God doesn't show up, is everyone's able to rationalize their own shitty behavior mm-hmm. or good behavior. In other words, if you're someone that likes to help people and you're a Christian, it's like, yeah, but I bet if, you, if there weren't Christianity, you would still be helping people. And then there's mm-hmm. others who believe that they're forgiven every week. Oh, I know I was an asshole, but I'm going to mumble some Latin and you know, make a hand gesture. <laughs> it's, I mean, look at like the Catholic church, the entire Catholic with the, with the priests and the sexual abuse. This was going mm-hmm. on for centuries. Yeah. And it wasn't just the priests did it. It was the whole church hit it and condoned it. Right. And I bet a lot of these people probably believed, rationalized that they were forgiven. So yeah, in other words, if you're only doing it because you think you're going to hell, well, I guess that's better than nothing. But I believe most people who do bad things, like they're mafia guys who go to church. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's hate groups. They're all religious. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the closest I come to spirituality is I've gone to some Wiccan meetings. Um witchcraft and and i like to read about that Mm -hmm. because i think witchcraft is a lot more about 
empowering yourself. Like, I don't really believe in spells. Like, I could cast a spell and I will, you know, mm -hmm. be successful. I've tried. It hasn't worked. But, um... So you're, I, you're talking more Wiccan is in the nature side yes. of things, right? Okay. Yeah, and I've I've been to some some gatherings, you know, and, and we've taken mushrooms and doing some things like that. And I'm very I, I like that a lot mm -hmm. because and it is communal, but it's not a, it's not dogma. It's not I'm telling you how to behave, and if you right. don't do it, then the, the, the whatever the sky wizard is going to get you, right? Like I say, there's a lot of good people that are religious. I just believe they'd be good anyway. In other words, if you're a bad person, there's a lot of bad people that use religion mm -hmm. to get away with it. There's a lot of people, you know. And so I just never, I just don't believe it. It's not that, and, and that's another straw man that a lot of the Christians and Muslims use is that atheists are mad at God mm -hmm. or that we're, we just want to sin. And it's like, I don't believe in sin. <laughs> well, I think that they say atheism is a, uh, you know, a free card to sin. Yeah, but I still <laughs> am not a bad person. I don't rape. I don't murder. Yeah. And I don't have, and it's not because, I mean, in other words, I don't believe I have the right to do that to people just because mm -hmm. there's no God above me. It's like, have you ever seen, um, True Detective, the first season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just watched Matt, that not too long ago, oddly enough. Yeah. The first season. The fourth one has been a disaster. But Yeah. The first season, Matthew McConaughey says something like, he's like, you know, if the only thing keeping a man decent is the promise of a divine reward in heaven, that man's a piece of shit. And the sooner <laughs> we be, bring these people to light, the better. And that's, yeah. you know, I couldn't agree with that statement more. How interesting. So there are some tangents, though, if you think about it, between religion and stand-up comedy. Because you both are, typically, you both get in front of people, right? Yeah. And you are entertaining them for a certain amount of time. Usually it's not too long, just like a, 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 a priest or a, a preacher would do. Absolutely. And, and then there are is a reward in all of that. Yeah. Generally, right? Mm -hmm. So it is kind of interesting that there are parallels between the two. Um, but what do you think the differences are? Well, for one thing, I'm a stand-up comedian. That's what I'm claiming to be. I'm not claiming that there's some divine presence behind me that's writing these jokes for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging other people what they do when they go home. Everything about me, you know, I'm not dogmatic. I'm not telling you who to hate. Mm -hmm. um, there definitely is performance, but I'm not telling people. I mean, when you break a lot of religion, is it's people who haven't died telling you what happens when you die. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even if you've flatlined, you really haven't died. So people are like, well, I saw a white light and then they... <laughs> and it's like, I'm not claiming I know what happens when you die. Right. I don't. So I'm not claiming I've never gotten up. So you're right. You're very much right about being a priest is a performer, but it shouldn't be. 
just well, like being it, a politician. I think if it wasn't, they wouldn't have a career, to be honest. That's my, exactly. <laughs> just like being a politician shouldn't be about being a performer. Oh, yeah. But it is. Yeah. I mean, you're like, for example, Bill Burr was talking about public speaking, and he, and he was talking about one of the best public speakers ever was Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Just the way he controlled the crowd. Uh, he obviously used it for very horrible things. Sure. But, the, I mean, Martin Luther King, who used it for great things, was also a great public speaker. Mm-hmm. In other words, charisma doesn't necessarily, doesn't always go to the best of people. Right. You know, having charisma in public speaking and having that ability doesn't make you a good person. And it can be abused. And unfortunately, it is. Abused. And it's the same thing with politics. The best people for the job aren't necessarily the people that are the best public speakers. Right. Yeah. What, oddly enough, which brings you, it kind of comes full circle because some people are really funny in a group, but they're not funny on stage. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I was funnier in a group before I was funny on stage. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, even like I said, I didn't get booed my first time stand up, but I realized I had a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's big funny on stage is totally different because they're expecting you to be funny. Right. That's if the deal, funny, right? You're making the deal to get up there and be funny. Yeah, exactly. If you're funny at work, it's great to have you because you're making the day go by faster. Mm-hmm. But if someone paid $10, it's a different expectation. Or even if it's just open mic, if people are watching you, they expect a higher level of performance. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, and it, it's, it's, there are people that are great joke writers and make careers as joke writers, but they just have a hard time performing. Yeah. On stage. I mean, you could have a very good career as a comedy writer. And there are comedy writers that just don't really do well at performing on stage. So, John, where do you I was at? We're kind of getting to the our our time here. What do you think is the five year trajectory for John Bradbury here starting today? Five years. Five years. Okay. All right. Well. I recently just got chat. I just got Final Draft software. I'm trying to turn my book into a screenplay mm-hmm. because I think the Talking Bear uses drugs could make a great movie. Well, they had Cocaine Bear, so cocaine you can ride bear, on yes. the on the and heels of Cocaine Bear with with something a little more with a little more gravitas. That that definitely good word. Um, but in fact, I did have this book. I was doing this book before the movie came out. I know people yeah. will excuse me of cop. Movie. Anyway, but that's my goal. I want to do more stand-up comedy as well. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, you know, basically those two. I mean, my goal do, is to Do you this. think that you'll continue with the microdosing or do you think that, that that will run its course and you'll you'll basically kind of uh, reduce that or eliminate that in your life? Well, I, I do it in cycles, so I'll, I'll do it for a month or two, and then I won't do it for a few months. Sure. I, I probably—I mean, I can't say I'll do it for the rest of my life, but I, I have no intention of stopping right now. Mm-hmm. And know, not in five years. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's okay. It, well, no, I, I just mean, the five-year question is one of those questions where it's like, 
you know, you, what do you anticipate your thoughts are now for there? Because everything changes, obviously. Of course. As long as it's helping me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's like I say, I might take six months off, but yeah. I just don't think I'd ever just swear it off for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I just probably would take longer breaks. Um, okay. And, you know, I do sometimes trip, like actually take a full trip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that'll just always be something I think that'll be a part of my life. I, you know, and I'll probably always drink sometimes, but drinking is something I never want to go back to doing every day. Right. So, you know, that you felt the negative effects of drinking every day already. And you don't want to get back to that. I've seen how the movie ends and I don't want to relive (laughs) it. It it doesn't. And that's anybody. I would, you know, I did. to add one more thing, sure. I would like to write more about microdosing and how it can help people. And mm-hmm. I would like to be a proponent of that. And, and you know, in any way I can just to, to talk to people about it who have questions about it, because it really can make a huge difference. You know, you don't want to be living a shitty life addicted to a substance and you don't want to be a prisoner of PTSD and depression mm-hmm. if there is something that can help you. Oh, yeah. You know, and exactly. I hope... As we get away from the war on drugs and that huge, ridiculous logic that we used for so long, right? That well, we will. The, the, my uh, philosophy is there's a war on drugs that aren't making people massive amounts of profit. Yeah. Certain people. Yeah. Maybe I mean, the corporations, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> there's always been our ulterior motives for that's that. why they legalize the pot everywhere is because then they can move that money from uh one place to another well yeah and and it also clears out our prison somewhat it's the same thing with yeah. gambling yeah but yeah it's it's all about moving money from things they can't control the things they can't control i think oh i know but, but yeah. i still i'm glad that we're doing it I mean, the idea of people going to jail for five or ten years for marijuana is absurd. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, so tell tell people where they can find your book at. Uh, you can find Stony Mountain Park on Amazon. Uh, it's just uh, the, my author, J.R. Bradbury, just put Stony Mountain Park. It, it's available on Amazon. And if you go on Substack, J.R. Substack. And... That's where you can find it. So is it Stony with an E? I just typed it in there. I don't yes, know it is. S-T-O-N-E-Y, okay. Mountain Park. Yeah, okay. You can find Fiction. that on Amazon, or you can go over to uh, com and find more musings from Mr. Bradbury, who has a name uh, building named after him in uh, California somewhere, the Bradbury Building. Yeah, maybe it wasn't for you, but uh, for I don't think so. and like I'm not related to Ray Bradbury. At all. <laughs> I've gotten that question. Um, there is an author named John Bradbury, and that's why as an author, I use J.R. Bradbury uh-huh. because in Amazon you can't, you know. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild or something. You can't have two names the same. Exactly. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate you Thank taking you, some time man. with me today. And uh, best of luck to you on your future endeavors. And I'm glad that you're feeling better. It's fantastic to hear people who solve 
their problems and uh, come up with their solutions so that they do better in their life. Yeah, thank you, man. I really, this is great. And I love being on uh, any time you want to have me. Thanks.